0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the People's Show with Bick Nazar. I'm Bick Nazar, Dominic Schermati running the show, and Cern David Navarro running the show as well. You can be part of the show broadcasting live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. And again, chime into the show, 650-650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Plenty to get into throughout the course of the show, and again, encourage you to be part of the show, 650 650 but well, we got a uh, big result last night. The season underway for the Vancouver Canucks, Oilers, top it. The Vancouver Canucks five to three last night, and yeah, the season's underway. Dom, what's going on? You're giving me the oh. I was too busy watching playoff baseball. No, I'm no. just kidding. I'm no. just kidding. No, you, you, you I, dual I, I, screen.
1: I, I think I've seen your setup. Yeah, Actually, dual I w- screen. I was watching it on SN now last night. Company and man. the beauty of SN now is you can have quad screen now. Yeah. So I had four streams up last night. I had Let's the Seattle go. Kraken game. I had the Canucks game. And I had the playoff baseball game on last night.
0: Just uh, sports nirvana. It's fantastic. Over at the Charmati household. That's massive. Uh, all right. But yeah, it started off with a bang. Wrapped up with a bit of a whimper. Five straight unanswered goals versus the Canucks and raising questions again about the start of the season. At least for me, we saw what happened last year. What is it for you about last night? 6.50, 6.50. What led to the calamitous collapse? Calamitous, disjointed, error-strewn,
1: awful... (laughs)
0: Uh, We can sit here and look at scoring chances, shot chairs, and everything. There's a logical, statistical way to pinpoint what happened last night. And I'll get to that in just a second. But last night for me was very much about mental maturity. One team knew how a game rises and hits valleys in emotion throughout the course of 60 minutes. Edmonton, they've gone through it. They've now gone to a conference finals. Yeah, it didn't go well for them losing to Colorado, but you see that standard. You know, hey, when he gets to the playoffs, things are going to rise, things are going to go down, and you can't get too caught up in the emotion of a game. Now, it's game one of the regular season, different world than game three or game two in Colorado in dealing with the crowd and and the the charged-up emotion of that game. But understanding ebbs and flows of a game really showed out last night. They went through a series with Calgary. You want to talk about emotion? Battle of Alberta? Edmonton knowing how to deal, learning how to deal with that, applying lessons learned in the playoffs to this upcoming season. They had every reason to let their frustrations last night continue because they were handed a boatload of penalties, which were earned, but they still carried on. How do you persevere through that and not let your frustrations boil over? They weren't bad calls, but from their point of view – yeah, there's no flow to the game for a team that loves to skate. They can't get skating. No open play. Constant whistles against you. You would understand if they let their frustration spoil into their overall play. Is there any slippage to your game through all of that? They persevered and were tremendous about focusing on the next play and getting the job done. How do you absorb manageable damage while still working towards a successful goal? That's what last night was about. The Oilers. Did that last night, and you can look at some of the numbers, the scoring chances, and certain things looked good for the Vancouver Canucks. This is still a game played by humans and managing emotions having the mental capacity to deal with all that, withstand tough moments and tough stretches of play, is a fundamental requirement. And here in Vancouver, there's been so much focus on the start of the season. We know what happened last year. The first 25 games resulting in regime changes, coaching changes. There's a focus on the start of the season. And that was a little heated on the post-game show last night. It's a point I was making. Preseason people were worried. And I said, hey, I'm with you, but Let's, let's put a pin in the preseason, and let's come back to it on Game 1, Game 5, Game 6, and on and on. So there's a focus on the start of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. They learned a lesson literally last year. 25 games can sink your season. 20 games can sink your season. That was the lesson that was learned. And By the way, it's not as if they missed by a point last year. It's like three extra games they needed to get close to the conversation. It's multiple points that they missed by last year. As impressed as people want to be by the 57 gains, they still missed by a margin. The Canucks last night, the focus being on the start of the season, the Vancouver Canucks let manageable damage build into catastrophic failure. That's mental maturity. Up 3-1, we're up 3-0. They have a goal go against them. And just couldn't keep the train on the tracks. Look, it's a bad call, and I agree with the idea that it's the turning point of the game. And at the turning point of the game, the Vancouver Canucks were up 3-1. Still got five power plays thereafter. They had a sketchy line change that wasn't called for a penalty. Then they eventually were dinged for too many men. Bad, leading to worse. We know what happened on that power play for the Oilers. Leads to another goal. Worse, leading to catastrophic... And on and on and on. And for the Vancouver Canucks last night, mental maturity was not there to lead towards success. How do you figure out how to absorb manageable damage? It's hockey, man. Things are going to go against you. Not just the call, but consistently throughout the course of a game, everything's not going to be perfect. You can't expect the conditions to always be perfect and also want... The only way to, for you to achieve results is under ideal circumstances. You're constantly being pushed. You're constantly having to overcome. Last night, that was about mental maturity. 650-650. Not the end of the world, but tough way to start the season. That is Jeff Rowe texting in. 650-650. Uh, this one, uh, that's four goals against and an empty netter to three goals of. That's not five unanswered. Uh, well, it was three nothing. And it's five unanswered goals by the Edmonton Oilers. That's that's what unanswered means. Uh, but look, I understand the point of empty netter. That's an unsigned text. 650-650. Uh, keep the water, guys. I blame Sat and Bic because of their positive optimism during the first intermission. Hey, After 20 minutes, it looked fantastic. And you got to finish the job. That's mental maturity. Yeah, there's a focus on the start. You got to focus on the finish too. You got to complete the entire gig. It's like uh, kitchen rentals. You can't just halfway do it and say, ah, oh, start of it looks great. Leave the rest of it. No, no, you got to finish the job. Complete the task. Uh, there is a functional reason why they lost, too. And this is where the stat profile kind of comes into it. Power play. Just wasn't good enough. Did not create anything when they got set up. You think back to their best chances. Most of them came off the rush. Kuzmenko with an in-flight redirect off a pass from JT Miller in the first Obviously, the Kuzmenko goal. Miller has a breakaway on a nice feed from um, Quinn Hughes. There may have been another one. Most of their good chances on the power play came off of the rush. And when we were in the preseason, there was some movement in zone in the half-court power play offense that looked very exciting. Sat here on some of the postgame shows and... You, know, you don't want to get too hyped up on, a, on preseason power plays, but it was one of my concerns. We've seen this before. When J.T. Miller first arrived, some of those preseason power plays, very exciting, backdoor tap-ins for players, a lot of movement. How is that going to translate to the regular season? Just one game. It's just one game so far. I get that. But that was not a ringing endorsement for a power play that, by the way, finished top 10. So they can have highs but they also have lows and last night was a low. I want to see this power play graduate to a more consistent spot. You know, I I can deal with 1 in 5. 1 in 5. 1 in 5 every game. I can live with that cuz you're clicking at 20% and you say okay, that's at least you're being consistent. 1 for 8? It's tough. And there were stretches last year, multiple games where they would get zero power play goals even under Bruce Boudreaux. Multiple 3 game stretches. That's not good enough. For a team that has to live on special teams, specifically last year. We'll see how it evolves into this year. But for a team that had to live on special teams last year, they had dry spells. Coming into this season, they were going to have to get better at it. Uh, It's been a big focus already after one game. Paul Horvat was uh, asked about the power play last night, and here's what he had to say. They obviously played us well. They, they they took away the middle option, which we like to use, and that obviously you know put us in a little bit of a, a bind. But you know we still have lethal lethal shooters on, on the flanks and and Cousy down low. And I think it was just a matter of making adjustments and pucks going in for us. I think we still had a lot of opportunities, a lot of a lot of shots, but just none uh, none find the back of the net. 650, 650. You can keep chiming in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, that's thoughts from Bo Horvat. On the power play last night. And it's it's my biggest complaint sometimes with the power play. It gets too static. And he mentioned it. Hey, they took away the middle part of the ice. That play that they love to do. Down low. Back up to Horvat. Or even just sliding it in general to Bo. Uh, from Miller on the wing. That was taken away. The Oilers did a good job with it. Where's the adjustment? Not just by the players themselves. But the coaching staff. Where's the in-game adjustment to get away from something? Uh, there was a moment where Pedersen got the puck on the wing. And he took it to the net. Generally speaking, though, we didn't see it. Uh, Another chance, you know, Pedersen a pass goes through his legs, kind of wired at him, but that was another, you know, missed opportunity to to change the geometry of how the penalty killers are going to respect your play. But one for eight on the power play. It's rough. That is rough. You have to overcome. And I think last night, you know, we're, we're. I'll get to the Bo Horvat conversation because uh, a lot of fans last night in the post-game show, uh, just reaction myself and Sack got, I uh, was very much about Bo Horvat. We'll get to that in just a second. But I, I thought another person had a, a bit of a rough night. Kind of be Boos Boudreau. Adjustments on the power play. There's your captain talking about you know had to make some adjustments on the power play. Didn't really come to fruition. That's where the game could have been won and lost on the power play. And they didn't really succeed. Again, the the, the Kuzmenko chance comes off of a rush play but setting up, it was difficult to watch at times to try to generate quality consistent scoring chances kind of in the half-court power play just didn't materialize. The other one I, I can understand why he was in the lineup but Riley Stillman in over Jack Rathbone Riley Stillman didn't play on the penalty kill last night it's not going to be the overwhelming thing that spun the game around, but you you think about these lineup conversations. Canucks defense didn't get overwhelmed trying to move the puck out, but you know what really would have helped? Like Jack Rathbone. If, if Riley Stillman's not going to play the penalty kill, Jack Rathbone can be in the lineup for 11 minutes. That's a coaching decision. Riley Stillman in over Jack Rathbone. Well, Jack Rathbone's got a skill set that could A, by the way, Skate with the Edmonton Oilers. Their, their speed uh, became very evident over the course of a game. McKeough, I mentioned it pregame uh, with with Ian yesterday as well on the pod. You can go check that out on the People Show podcast. Also subscribe to Canucks Central, the PDO Cast, Canucks Talk, and Halford and Bruff. Am I missing any of the shows, Dom? I I feel, I feel like there's so many shows now. Uh, Halford and Bruff, Canucks Central, PDO Cast, Canucks Talk, People Show. I got them all. OT, OT, yes.
1: That's it. That's the lineup.
0: There we go. Uh, subscribe to them all. Uh, Spotify, Google, and Apple, wherever you grab your pods from, your local pod catcher. Mikheyev really would have helped yesterday. Not just because of the scoring chances that Hoaglander created and you want to see someone else maybe with a with a heavier shot, but just the speed in general and on the PK, obviously, really would have helped the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously something to monitor as McKayev works his way back into the lineup. And the next time the Vancouver Canucks will uh, take the ice uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, which I believe is in December. Uh, yeah, December 23rd, right before Christmas. So that was another thing. Booth Boudreau. Um, Stillman over Rathbone. You know, that to me was a curious decision. We'll see how long that uh, consists. No adjustments on the power play. Uh, and also, e- even the, the Quinn Hughes uh, high stick play. That led to a goal. That gets started off with J.T. Miller, the first center, onto the ice. Horvat's your face-off guy. Surprise, we didn't see Bo Horvat in that moment. He'd been off the ice for about two minutes. Uh, technically, it was J.T. Miller's shift, but you know, defensive zone face-off—that's your guy. Uh, is that a spot where you can get him out there and winning a face-off? Now, J.T. did win the face-off, but here's the thing—he ends up losing the puck, and it leads to that whole chaotic sequence of. The high stick on Quinn Hughes, Demko losing his stick, and obviously uh, in goes the goal and uh, cue the comeback for the Edmonton Oilers. Couple of decisions last night for me that uh, weren't exactly big marquee moments for Bruce Boudreaux, And I mentioned this coming into the season: the, the things that are unstable or unstable for the Vancouver Canucks is coaching and their captain. Not that they aren't stable people, but if you look at an organizational perspective, the coaching staff is going to the final year of the deal. Bo Horvat is going to the final year of the deal. From an organizational point of view, from us looking in, fans alike too, fans and media alike, getting to look into the organization. If you had to plot, okay, what's stable right now? It's a new management group. That's stable. They've locked in certain players. Quinn Hughes, locked in by the previous regime, but that's stable. He's locked in. Leas Patterson, yeah, there's two years left, but he's a restricted-free agent. That's stable. It's the coaching staff, and it is the captain. And they are under the microscope right now. So for me, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, not his biggest game. But the focus from a lot of fans last night lent itself over to Bo Horvat. And I gotta admit, really surprised on the post-game show. It, it just felt like it was... A natural Bo Horvat game that we've seen time in, time again. Time in, time out. I was genuinely surprised. It, it just didn't strike me as the type of game to say, oh, okay, well, these are all the issues. I thought he did a couple of good things. Carried the puck well. Was part of the goal, the Kozmenko goal. He's carrying it through the neutral zone. Had a couple of good zone entries. Just thought it was the same player we've seen before. What's changed for the conversation. To really spark up here. If you graded out last night. JT Miller. I said I was going to get to him in a second. I thought JT Miller had an okay game. Two points. And that looks phenomenal on the box score. But. Gives the puck away on that PK. That leads to the first goal. Puck management in his own zone. Was a problem. You can see the highs. But there, let's not pretend that there weren't lows. From JT Miller last night as well. Mistakes leading to goals. Bo Horvat didn't really have mistakes last night. Were there a couple of sloppy plays? Yeah, first game of the season, I can kind of forgive that. But that's the sort of stuff that's going to happen over the course of 82 games. Did he make catastrophic mistakes? I didn't notice many. But the the tone of the conversation has changed quite a great deal. If you had to grade those two players, i give JT probably a 7.5 out of 10. I'd probably give Bo about a 7 out of 10. I, I didn't notice big dreadful plays from Bo Horvat. There's one throwing it into Connor Garland's skates, but he also made a couple of nice seam passes all the way across the ice to uh, Elias Pedersen. 650-650. A lot of reaction coming in here. Uh, This one. Uh, Where was the Selkie winning center Couturier? Oh, sorry, I mean Horvat on the PK last night and at even strength. I guess this is a complaint about just being anonymous. And and chime in here, like like what is the Bo Horvat complaint you have after last night? Because to me, this is a, a case of perception is reality. Bo Horvat to me didn't really make any mistakes, but JT scored and made mistakes. But ultimately, they they had a very similar game, and that looked like any other Bo Horvat game to me. And, and that's why I have been talking about this for two years. But what was your issue with it last night? 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Because I hope it's not just rooted in the idea of, oh, now he's coming up for a contract negotiation, and now we have to view this entirely differently. Your thoughts on the player should not change just based on where he is in his contract timeline. The evaluation of the player should have been consistent from two years ago. And that's where I've been on this. And to me, that was just a... I don't want to say anonymous, but I, it feels like from the fans' point of view it was anonymous, but I've seen that game from Bo Horvat dozens of dozens of times. That's the watch it again on Netflix. You really like this one? Watch it again! I've seen that one from Bo Horvat many times. There was a couple of decent defensive plays. Yeah, won some faceoffs. Skated hard. But that to me was a typical Bo Horvat game, and if, if you're upset about it now, why have you been upset about it for the last two years? I was stunned at the reaction last night on the post-game show. Uh, A lot coming in here, 650-650. Drew in Vancouver. I would trade Bo Horvat right now for a right-handed top two D-man. 650-650. This one, I just turned on my radio and heard you going on and on. You sound like you're talking about game 25. We went through this last year, though. Sat here, and I said, after Buffalo, after Detroit. Start of the season matters. Do you want to play? at Mad Max Fury Road through games 45 to 64? Is that what you want? That you want to see that same thing that you saw that you had to max out effort just to miss the playoffs by three points? Or do you want to take care of business early? Why do you have to play catch-up in the NHL? This is not a team that should be trying to play catch-up.
1: That being said, Vic, and I have to press you on this, do you think we are in danger of overemphasizing the start of the season and not finding a happy middle ground. What's the downside, though? Oh, there's there's no downside. They have 22 points after 18 games? Is is, that a downside? There is no downside to starting the season hot. That's what I'm saying. But one game into the season, yes, it was a blown game, of course, and you should uh, press the team for it because there was a lot of mistakes made, sure. But the season is not over after one game, nor do I think you're saying that. No, I'm not saying that, but these are the same habits
0: that we've seen materialize over and over and over again. And this was the season for a lot of players that, hey, we have to start correcting that. Okay, cool. They came out nice for 25 to 30 minutes and looked sensational. But as I mentioned earlier, the Oilers took a very sluggish start and built into the game and raised their level, their sharpness over the course of the game, and got better. And yes, it's star-level players, it's McDavid, it's Dreisaitl, it's Kane, there's some fantastic players, it's Nugent Hopkins, they're very good players. But at some point, this is supposed to go to the Canucks making the playoffs. You know who you play in the playoffs? Star players. That's what this is about. And if you can't get this stuff right, when you've made a concerted effort saying the start of the season is important to us, we know what happened last year, and it cost people their jobs, there's a certain ownership of that.
1: I will say, though, I would rather judge them on how they react in game two than how they finished in game one. Because if they can show in game two that they can make up for the mistakes made in game one, that's more that's showing you more mentally what they're capable of than just one game. But it's the same. I've mentioned this before, like the trust fall. Are you ready to take the trust fall with this group?
0: You and don't have a choice. And there's you some don't have pe- a choice. No, but there's some people that like, hey, lock up Bo Horvat, lock up these guys, and, and this is the group I want to win with. Last night comes part of the territory if this is the group you want to lock up with. That's tough. 650, 650, keep coming with your thoughts. A lot coming in uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll read some of the reaction. We'll also get to add in Virk on the other side. A lot uh, coming up. We got people's picks. As well, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Thursday night football game: uh, the Commanders and the Bears. We thought last Thursday was bad. Woo.
2: Woo. Oh no, oh, we suck again.
0: <laughs> Commanders and Bears uh, coming up. Actually, uh, we'll have a pick on that game, not a, an official Big Six, but nevertheless, I do like a side in tonight's games. Adnan Verk on the way here. Beck Nazar on the People Show. Keep on rock, keep, keep on rock, keep on all right. Everybody hit it the four, four, three, two, Welcome back to The People's Show with Vic Nazar. I'm Vic Nazar, Dominic Shamadi running the show, intern David running the show as well. Coming to you live from the Tech studio, Adnan Burke will join us in just a couple of minutes from NHL MLB Network, the Cinephile Pod as well. Uh, you can always be part of the show, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. In fact, I encourage you to be part of the show. It's the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Let's see what the people are saying in the text message inbox. Uh, I think you're overreacting a bit. Unsigned text here. Take away the first goal by Edmonton on the bad miss missed call. And the net isn't empty at the end for the last goal. That plus, uh, you know, the best player in the world playing like it. Here's the thing, though. You, like, the first goal happened. I understand you want to take away and say they played well despite that. And what happens if that goal doesn't go in? They probably still continue. But once that goal happens, and this is the point I was making off the top of the show, and if you missed it, download the pod. If Once it happens, you have to have the mental makeup to overcome that.
1: Life uh, finds a way.
0: Yeah, and uh, honestly, an, an easier thing is just like, life happens, man. Sometimes bad things happen for no reason at all. And you got to overcome. You have to just keep moving on. Are you going to sit there and go, "Oh, I can't believe this keeps happening to me. No, you got to overcome. There's still 45 minutes to go. What are you going to do? So just- you're
1: saying the Canucks are undercomers after last night. Sorry, what? You say they have to overcome. Last night they were undercomers. Sure. I've never heard that phrase, but uh, nevertheless, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take it in stride. <laughs> Look, it like It happens. Yeah,
0: it happened. You can't just pout for the next 35 minutes. you got to go win the game. And they didn't. They blew a 3 nothing lead. And Duncan, uh, texting in, 650-650, 50, 50, blowing a three-goal lead is never a good start. Absolutely. And that's the thing. People are extending the benefit of the doubt to a team that probably hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt. Willem Chris, awful ring around the boards by Miller to put Petey in a bad spot on that power play that leads to the shorthanded goal. I thought Pedersen still had space. Uh, I don't mind passing it in a space like that, and Pedersen could have just skated it down uh, further into the corner. It's not like he was under a lot of pressure, but he hacked it into the middle of the ice. Uh, more reaction here, inability to play 60 minutes. Yeah, that's part of mental maturity for me. Uh, if Bo wants seven million plus a year, he's got to be more effective. That is Rob and Victoria. Again, they just—I've made this. Hot vocal for the better part of two years. Uh, I've been taking it in the teeth for two years as well from you, the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and uh, on Twitter at Bick Nazar uh, about Horvat. But now again, suddenly the, the contract comes into uh, a certain timeline. You can see the end and, and it becomes such a big focus. Uh, that to me was like a typical Bo Horvat game that we've seen. Didn't have a goal. He had a couple of shots on goal. A couple of chances. They'd like to see him bury. Uh, Didn't materialize. Jimmy in Vancouver. Bo had an okay game. I think Miller played worse, but he scored a goal. If the Canucks were to hang, hang on and won, no one would be complaining about Bo, that's Jimmy in Vancouver and AP in Langley. Bo wasn't anything special last night. At least Miller produced two points. They both struggled defensively. But if you're not scoring, then you better stop them from scoring. Uh, keep coming with the reaction. We'll try to read a couple more before the end of the show. Also got the people's picks coming up on the way about tonight's Thursday night football game. But let's connect with Adnan Verk from NHL MLB Network in the Cinephile Pod.
2: Uh, Adnan, how are you? I'm doing great, Vic. Best time of year, buddy. Hockey's back. I'm watching the baseball playoffs right now. Burners-Astros, massive game for my Eagles against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football and basketball right around the corner as well. It's the best. Yeah, hockey's
0: back. Uh, it, It feels like we got like a... A soft opening with the Europe games, and then things got real uh, earlier this week uh, with uh, Tampa and the Rangers, and obviously the Kings in Vegas. What league does like the the start of the season the best? Because I feel like the NHL it almost just snuck up on people when we missed kind of the hoopla of the the first of eighty two underway.
2: Hundred percent. I wasn't crazy about it this year. I wasn't sure. Hey, when is opening night? As you said, that soft launch in Europe, kind of like a slow build. It's almost like when there's like an independent film. They don't want to open in 3,000 screens, we want to build a little buzz first, that's right. kind of like what it felt like. So I, I'm i not crazy about it, I like the big opening, I like when Jurassic Park's opening, 3,000 screens, and that's what Major League Baseball's opening day is. You know, they give you a little little morsel, maybe on a Sunday night, and then Monday, bam, you got every single team playing, and hopefully a lot of day games, and warm weather in some places, and you get a couple postponements in like, Detroit, because it's freezing, and still snowing, but I... I think of all the sports, baseball's opening day is always special.
0: Did you see the the NHL official kind of like welcoming everyone to the start of the season? And did you like that if you if you happen to see it?
2: I actually haven't seen it, no.
0: Yeah, so the, the first game, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay and Rangers, they kind of cut to the, the, the referee's mic and just like welcomes everyone in. It was different. I, I don't know if I want to see it again, but it was at least different.
2: Yeah, I like anything in which you can hear the guys mic'd up. Yeah. Like, even when they're not giving you much, it's still good. Like Nestor Cortez gave one of that Yankees game, which was great to hear Bob Costas calling a baseball playoff game again. Mm-hmm. Big day for MLB Network. All MLB Network people, Bob Costas, Ron Darling, Lauren Shoddy, and they had Nestor Cortez mic'd up. And he wasn't dead a whole lot, but it was still cool to hear him. Like, be like, oh, come on, boys, let's go, boys, come on. One more, let's do it. Love that pitch, baby. That was great. So, like, I, whatever, whether it's a referee, an official, an umpire, a player, I'm I'm all for being mic'd up. I like it.
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, games going on right now. I, I do want to talk about uh, things that are happening in the Mariners and uh, Astros uh, right now in the bottom 8th, but on the Mariners, uh, they, they wipe out the Toronto Blue Jays. I want to start there because Saturday was wild. That 7-run deficit. And I, I tuned in midway, like bottom 5. I was watching it with my nephew and he was like, why are you tuning in? It's it's 8-1. I was like, hey, you know what? Because you never know, right? That's why we love yeah. sports. It's unscripted. This isn't a movie you paid $12 or $15 or whatever movie costs nowadays and you buy a popcorn and it's, it's unscripted. We, we don't know what's going to happen and they come back and we had so many conversations Adnan, in over the course of the season about the Blue Jays just talking about untapped potential that wasn't realized for the Toronto Blue Jays. And and we kept talking about like mental errors and are they going to figure this out and is is the, the switch going to get flipped come the season. And it Saturday just kind of felt like that. That they, they got up big and they said, okay, we we overcame a hurdle, but the game's not over and, and the Mariners just feel locked in all the time. Was was Saturday just kind of a culmination of everything we talked about over the course
2: of a season? First off, price of movie ticket, $14.50 where I live oh, okay. right no, now. bit yeah. inflation enough. is killing us, but. <laughs> If there was one weakness back of this Blue Jays team, what was it? Their bullpen. And to see it collapse like that at 8-1 lead was nothing short of heartbreaking, if not infuriating. And I go back to just giving the hook on Kevin Gossman. I, mm-hmm. I understand that the regular season, because you say, you know what, we're trying to keep guys fresh, trying to keep them healthy. But I like the good round number of 100 pitches in the playoffs. He has an 8-1 lead. There's a couple of runners on. It's five and two-thirds. Like, let him work out of it. Because the worst thing will happen is a three-run home run, and it's eight to four, and Gospin can still feel like, well, I went almost six innings, get got four runs. Like Rather than trying to preserve his line and say, let's go get a fresh arm, I'm like, no, I, I'm more of a theory, like, let him just finish the inning. Um, I'm watching this Mariners game, as are you. Luis Castillo just finished the inning. Like He gave out the home run to Jordan Alvarez. They're losing three-two, but he's still in the game. He's not going anywhere. Like No, he's Luis Castillo. Like, dude, he's a horse. He's our stud. He's the one that shut down the Jays over eight innings in game one. So he goes seven strong in this game. Even though he's given up three runs, you know, he's going to be the guy to try to finish what he started. So I, I go back to that first and foremost. And by the way, that was a first guess. As I saw it, I go, they should not be taking him out. This is too premature for Tim Mays, of all people, right. who we will always remember as giving up Aaron Judge's 60 second home run. Home run happens, collision happens. Even as you sit when you sit to your nephew, you never know what could happen. It's still tied. Like the Jays still had a chance. Yeah. But the bullpen just did not do its job. And I, that's my thing is, If Schneider said I'm turning it over to a strength of my team and they just fell apart, well, that happens. I.e., if it was a five-run lead and it was in the eighth and they asked Romano to get like a four- or five-out save and he gave it up, I'd go, okay. Like, he's your best reliever. He's been your closer all year. If he's fallible in this moment, so be it. If that's what happened to the Mets and Edwin Diaz in game two, so be it. Diaz was great, by the way. But, no, it it was the rest of the relievers you didn't necessarily trust when there was still plenty of game left. And if you'll notice, when Gossman got taken out, you see Vladdy clapping enthusiastically. The other players, like they thought it was over. So I think this Jays team has to really reassess themselves and go stop believing your own headlines. You haven't done anything yet. Like last year, you missed the playoffs. This year, you were one game better and made the playoffs. Now you're, it's not by virtue of an extra playoff. You deserve to make it. You were the top wild card team, the fourth of six seeds. But in a three-game series, you lost. Like you got you got Drill who was terrific and then your bullpen was awful, and you couldn't score enough runs in a game in which eight runs should have been enough, and it ended up being 10-9 a loss. So you've got to reassess yourselves and now say, all right, last year we missed the playoffs, this year we made the playoffs, next year we've got to at least win a round, if not two rounds, and for God's sake, shore up that bullpen, which I think anybody could have seen was a weakness going in.
0: Yeah, and it, it, you know, manage, managerial decisions and, and coaching decisions in the NFL are, are always so scrutinized, and it, it just felt like you got over the, the, the trouble spot, right? Like he, he goes and gets two outs, and... Once you overcome the immediate reaction of, oh my goodness, here we go, I, it just felt like a panic move. And we see that uh, in, in the NFL all the time, just just, just, just take a beat. And I just wonder if, if it was uh, a manager maybe with some more experience at the major league level, what would that have uh, been a different outcome?
2: Yeah, fair point to think about. Like, I think Schneider obviously did a good job with this team because Charlie Montoya, yeah. Yeah, like Montoya definitely didn't get the best out of them, and the team clearly responded to managerial change. But you are right that these managers, you know, that when the game kind of speeds up, you've got to slow things down. Mm-hmm. And you can't just gut check right away and just go right to the bullpen at the first immediate sign of trouble. I think it's important to let a pitcher work through that trouble and rather than just, just making a what felt like a gut check reaction. Like, all right, 85 pitches, hey, five and two thirds, he's done his job, let's get somebody fresh. Yeah, but is the fresh guy better than the guy on the mound, even if he's a little bit tired? And the answer is no. Like, Gossman is your co-ace. Manoa is your best pitcher, but Gossman's a close second. You're paying him $110 million. To me, that means you have to get into the seventh inning. It's one of my issues with DeGrom. As sensational as he is, when's the last time that guy pitched into the seventh inning? Like, he's lights out for five and two-thirds. Awesome. Great. But, like, I need a guy who goes into the seventh. Give me six-plus the way Scherzer does, Otani does, Verlander, etc. And I know Scherzer and Verlander got roughed in their playoff starts. But My point is, I'll take the guy that can go deeper into games, and sometimes it's not on the pitcher, it's on the manager giving them a quick hook.
0: What's more disappointing uh, for you, the, the Mets uh, getting bounced
2: or the Jays? I think it's the Jays, because the Mets, to me, were overachieving all season long. Like They, right. they to me, on paper, were a 90-92 win team. The Braves are the defending World Series champions. They're the better team. They should have won the division, and the Mets should have been five games back. Instead, the Mets played over their heads all year, and we're in first place for 175, 181 days. So the narrative feels a lot more painful because the games they had to win, they lost. Mm-hmm. You get swept against the Braves in the head-to-head series. I agree with what Buck did. He rejigged his rotation, had Scherzer DeGrom trying to go down to Atlanta. Win one game, and you control a tiebreaker. Instead, you get swept. And then in a three-game series against the Padres, that's not an 89-win San Diego team. That's a much better team after they made those trades. And I know it took them a while to coalesce, But San Diego started to play much better baseball those last two weeks. They did not back into the playoffs. They clearly were a team good enough to make the playoffs. And in a crapshoot like that, it ain't going to happen. Scherzer was a real disappointment. Didn't play well against Atlanta. Did not pitch well in that game one. DeGrom was great in game two. And then in game three, they couldn't bat. And we had the whole mess with Musgrove and Buck and all the rest of it. But I think for the Mets, if you told me at the start of the year they would make the playoffs, And losing the wild card against the Padres, who got one, so do I go, okay, that sounds about right. Like, Atlanta's the better team. And now, uh, Steve Cohen with his $300 million will go make some moves, and I don't think DeGrom comes back. I think he's going to want 40 to 40. He's probably going to want 45 million a year. He wants more than Scherzer. I don't think he's worth it. He only pitched 63 innings this year. You've got to be able to prove you can pitch. So, I think for the Mets, I know it's painful the way they lost, but the Jays, they were supposed to be a team that would win the division. A lot of people had them winning the American League East. They did not and then they couldn't even win one playoff game.
0: Talking to Adnan Verk from MLB and NHL Network, also Cinephile Pod. You know, we do this thing uh, every year. Like, you know, we get to October, and it's like, playoff baseball is so fantastic, and it's the reward for 162 games in a long season, obviously. This playoffs, it, it's, it feels like it's more torqued up than usual. Obviously, we've got the big uh, comeback that we talked about with the Mariners, but, like, the, the Phillies have had uh, – a, a a big run here. The we we've had like walk offs yesterday uh, or game one with the Mariners. There's been some very dramatic moments, fifteenth inning wins as well. Like it, it has been a torqued up MLB playoff so far.
2: Yeah, I like that verb torqued up. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that anytime that there's some opposites, or some unpredictability. That's fun. And I've said this stat to you before. Since 1995, the wild card era, home teams only win 55 percent of the time. So it really is overrated, this concept of having home field advantage. And we saw that in the wild card round. Road teams went 3-1. and one. Only the Guardians were the teams that actually defended their home field and were able to be successful. So the fact that a 15-inning game there end with Gonzalez's walk-off, the Yankees looked really good in game one. The Astros' comeback that Jordan Alvarez run off Robbie Ray was spectacular. They look like they're about to go up 2 the Phillies at least stealing game one from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And now San Diego winning that game, too. Like, this San Diego strelent to me, is amazing because they got drilled against the Dodgers 14-5 and five in the regular season. We saw that happen a year ago. This was supposed to be the great new rivalry. The Dodgers were 22 games better than them. And yet, uh, Machado takes Kershaw deep. You have Darvish pitching well. And now, game three, Blake Snell, who's been really good against the Dodgers. And you've got... Joe Musgrove in game four who dealt against the Mets at home at Petco Park. They have not had a home playoff game with fans since 2006. You know, the whole Mariners narrative has got a lot of pub, but 2006 is a long time for San Diego. So the fact that it's a best of three and two games at San Diego, it's not shocking if they upset the Dodgers because now they're pitching gets a little suspect. Tony Gonsolin pitches game three, and he hasn't pitched a whole lot lately.
0: Uh, right now, Mariners uh... – down 4-2. It's the top of nine right now, Uh, so trending towards uh, them being down 2-0. But you mentioned those two NL series, uh, one and one, split right now. Uh, Who are you more nervous for, the
2: Braves or the Dodgers? I can't remember saying it, but I think of the Dodgers, only because, like I said, the way that the pitching lines up with Snell and Musgrove, I could foresee a situation where you know they can steal a couple wins and, and not go back for five. Now, LA, again, 111 wins in the regular season. It's a potent offense. They're obviously the favorite for a reason. But I feel like Atlanta and Philly, like the Braves, like they're the defending World Series champions. There's never a situation where they panic. They have a lot of confidence in them. And Philly, for them to succeed, it really comes down to three people. It's Wheeler, Noah, and Bryce Harper. And after that, you kind of just hope for contributions from other players, whether it's Schwarber or Castellanos. But I think like for the Dodgers, there's a bit of trepidation. Like You guys haven't won a World Series since 88 over a full regular season. If you lose against the Padres, forget about just the Battle of SoCal, but for 111 wins to go up and smoke like that, that'd be pretty shocking. Again, L.A. and Atlanta are still the prohibitive favorites, but if you ask me which one am I a little uneasy about, it would be Los Angeles. You know, in New York, do you think we just forget about Garrett Cole
0: sometimes? Uh, just because Judge took so much of the headlines this year, that there he goes. And and you mentioned someone going at least into the seventh. Uh, he goes what six and one, I think. Uh yeah. And and you know, he, this is a start level pitcher. They've paid a big sum for him, and it just felt like, oh right, this is the moment you want him for.
2: A thousand percent. Like at the very least, Garrett Cole's gonna take that ball in Game One, and he will pitch into the seventh. Now he might give up three solo home runs, like he might give up four runs over six to third, but much like a Max Scherzer or a Verlander, he will pitch you deep into the game. And that recipe for success of the Yankees went about as good it possibly could have. Cole pitches into the seventh, you got Luizic after that, Wandi Peralta, and then Clay Holmes. And if they can have those two relievers clicking at maximum efficiency, I feel a lot better about the Yankees' chances because that's my biggest concern for them is their bullpen. Donner, Michael King, and Chad Green, and Zach Britton, and Roldis Chapman, so you're going to have to rely on these other names to step up. And if they can do so, then I feel pretty good about it because I like their starters. Cole Cortez was sensational down the stretch. Breakout season as an all-star. Like I think the Yankees win that game too tomorrow now, matinee, then quickly travel after the game, get to Cleveland, play Saturday, Sunday, and potentially Monday. You could have four games in four days with the Yankees and the Guardians. But I- I'm with you. I think Garrett Cole sets the tone. That there's no pitcher who's more important to his team. In these playoffs, I would argue – than Garrett Cole. That's how valuable he is. If Verlander gets roughed up, as we saw today, Framber Valdez can step it up. You know, for the Dodgers, similarly, they've got strength in numbers in their rotation. Padre's same thing. Atlanta, same thing. Kyle Wright, Max Reed, et cetera. But for the Yankees, if Cole stumbles, all of a sudden it really feels like a big setback for that team. He did not, that's why they're up one
0: oh. Uh, what's on the screen this week before we let you go?
2: Yeah, I um you know, I just saw uh, you know you know how much I adore Martin Scorsese. So I went to new York. Oh, right, North how is that? Right. Yeah, Scorsese co-directed a new documentary. It's called Personality Crisis, One Night Only, and it was fabulous. Now, a lot of it, as you know, is being in a theater, every single person in that. You don't just stumble upon paying $32.50 for tickets to the New York Film Festival or pay $52 for parking. So we're all paying, you know, I'm paying $84, but it's to go hear Martin Scorsese speak for 12 minutes and then go watch a new film he co-directed, he's 79 years old, Vic, I went and saw the Taxi Driver revival years ago. Obviously, I saw the Irishman at the New York Film Festival premiere three years ago. Like, I never miss a chance to breathe the same oxygen as Martin Scorsese, and I really enjoyed it. And one of the great things about Marty is how much he loves music and rock and roll music. His documentaries on the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and um, the Last Waltz, obviously the band. Two of their members, Canadian, of course, Robbie Robertson, the lead singer. So this is pretty cool. It was about uh, Buster Poindexter, is his name. He was the singer in the '80s, and he was the lead singer of the New York Dolls in the '70s. A band with which I was unfamiliar, but that's probably why I enjoyed it more. It was kind of like the advent of punk rock music. You know, Marty loves the Sex Pistols. You know, their version of My Way and it's Goodfellas. Henry Hill, famously looking in the camera. So it was really cool. Really, really cool musical documentaries, and the fact he was there speaking before it, it was it was awesome. So I will uh, I'll tell stories about Marty next week. On to the pub.
0: Did you uh, pull a uh, Christopher Molisanti and shout out uh, Koon Dune, I liked it.
2: <laughs> well, the funniest poets ever. And if you have, I know I sound old, but if you have the Departed DVD. They go through a lot of Scorsese's movies and ask him for a story or two, and he laughs when they bring up Kendoon. He's like, oh, somebody told me about the Sopranos, because, of course, he knows uh, Imperioli. He plays right. Spider-Man and Goodfellas. He goes. And so I, I don't know if Scorsese was a Sopranos viewer, but he tells a quick answer. He goes, oh, yeah, Konduni He goes, somebody told me Imperioli made a joke. Hey, I loved you, Kendoon. He had, like, a big laugh about it. So I, <laughs> I love that they snuck in that joke in the Sopranos.
0: Hey, man, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for answering the phone. Uh, you got to pick.
2: Take
0: care. It's Adnan Verk joins us every week here on the People's Show, NHL, MLB Network, and the Cinephile Pod. And uh, He's gone on a rant before. of uh, He doesn't like answering his phone, but he'll answer it for us. That's why I always say thanks for answering the phone there, Adnan. Uh, all right, let's get to it. We'll get to some more of your reactions while coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. But before we go, uh, we check out the People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports brought to you by B-C-L-C Commanders versus the Bears tonight a marquee Thursday night football game who gave them primetime football everyone's got to get one Uh, Washington at the Bears two of uh, the worst teams in the league for me uh, we didn't do power ranks uh, this week because uh, I was away on Tuesday, maintenance day, maintenance day. Uh, but I, uh, two of these teams are in my bottom four. I'll let you know that right now. So it could be a dreadful one. Commanders favored by a point, road favorites, and I like it. Give me the Commanders. You may have seen the stat going around. Carson Wentz six and zero on uh, Thursday night football, straight up. That's not against the number, but it's one point. They get the win. You should be able to cover the one spot. I do like that one tonight. But the other thing I'm looking at today, usually with props, we're always looking for who's making the most receptions, yards, and all that sort of stuff. I'm going defense. Go figure me. Looking at defense. Jonathan Allen, plus one sack, 1.95. You're feeling frisky. Two sacks, two plus sacks, 5.75. The sack rate in this game for these quarterbacks is astronomical. Uh, Justin Fields sitting at a 17% sack rate. So I'll take Jonathan Allen to get uh, over one sack. Uh, 1.95 is what it's paying out at. That is the people's picks brought to you by Play Now Sports when you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Uh, 650-650. Still a lot of thoughts coming in from the top of the show. Robin Langley from the Canucks game. My biggest takeaway. Penalty kill needs work. Demko will save what he should, but not necessarily what he shouldn't. Power play needs to shoot. Feels like it's been a decade plus of that comment. And Anthony. Okay, we get your point. Suck it up and get on with the game. But what about the call? You know what they're going to talk about on the uh, next show, Canuck Central? The call. The game. All of it. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah, got you the rest of the way. Cheech is going to be joining them at 5 o'clock. John Garrett coming up uh, with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Here on the home of the Canucks, it's the People's Show.